Okay, so um, this is the last part of uh, the word that uh, was given to us at the beginning of the year in Stornoway, off the coast of Scotland, where the first revival called the Hebrides revival had started. And then felt the Lord saying, can I use you guys to reignite Hebrides 2.0 across the earth where you guys will be able to announce and ignite different places and do what I did in the 1940s and the 1950s once again across the earth. I know it sounds impossible, but haven't I done some really impossible things with you? So here's the word I have for you. And then he gave this word and we wrote it down and we've been teaching on this for the last eight weeks or so. And he says, I'll send a purifying fire from heaven that burns up all religious and historical junk. And I will march as the divine warrior marches. I will deliver young men and women from nations and I'll deliver them from nations into the kingdom. I'm calling sons and daughters. I'm calling them into a circle of dancing in abundance and joy. And they'll dance before the lion and the lamb. And then it goes on to say that out of this will come a torch-bearing generation that goes forth and will not return empty. So we're going to talk about that today, a torch-bearing generation. What does that look like? So that's what we'll be talking about today. And uh, just so we know, uh, whenever I've been t t teaching this topic, anybody who's over 55 thinks it doesn't apply to us because it's, we're, we're aiming at the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s. And so suddenly, uh, most of us who are over 50 think, oh, that doesn't include me. So I want to clear that up once and for all so you see what's happening. God is saying... God is saying to the 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Is anyone over 90 meet me after the service? Okay? God is saying to any, any, any group that is between 10 and 90 that, listen, I want you to focus on the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Is there anything there that you don't understand? Because we've got to clear this up, because <coughs> otherwise there is ten this tendency to think, but then what shall I do? I'm over 50. Voila! God is saying, hey, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Here's what I'm saying to you. I want you to focus on the thing that I'm emphasizing. And what am I emphasizing? Over the next little while, could you please look at the teens, the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s? So there's no way we can't be involved in this. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 10, and you're still being asked to be involved in this. He has shifted his focus to the teens, 20s, 30s, and 40s. Why? Take it up with him. And when I make statements like God says, yeah, those are frightening statements. Well then, if it's hard for you to believe that, then I uh, don't know where to go with that. Examine my track record. Or examine, not my track record, examine Acts 29's track record. And then after that, if you're able to receive it, run with it. If you're not able to receive it, then why are you wasting your time here? Go someplace where the word is actually preached. 
Any questions on that introduction? This is specifically going to be ignited through this church. Yeah. We find it so hard to believe that God would do something so massive and so global through us. And that's understandable because Gideon didn't think he was that kind of guy. Moses didn't think he was that kind of guy. David didn't even turn up in the lineup. Paul didn't think he was that kind of guy. Peter didn't think he was a, that kind of guy. He said, stay away from me for I'm a sinner. There's not a single person who's been called whose response was, right on Jesus, you picked the right person. Nobody in the Bible said that. Everybody thought maybe he made a mistake. But how else do you think God starts things across the earth? Through angels? Almost never. It's always through people who really don't have what it takes. Any questions? Yeah, so is this being ignited through this specific group of people? Yep. It's not even, oh, I'm involving you in something I'm starting around the world. It is, I'm starting it with you. Others will be involved. Guys, if you can't receive it, then do one of two things. Two things. Wrestle with it. Come and argue with me. Wrestle with me on this. But if you still can't receive it, then this is the wrong church. Because it's speaking falsehoods. Any questions? Why specifically the 20s, 30s, and 40s? Uh, uh, I think the answer um, is uh, so that the next 70 years can be affected. If I get Sam, you're like my age, right? Actually older. So <laughs> there's no point bringing a new work with you. But if, <laughs> sorry, you asked the question, now you hear the answer. But if I picked your son Sam, he's 18. He's got 60 more years to run with it. And his mind is flexible. It's not settled. It's not, do you want me to go on? You know what I mean, right? Yeah. So that's why, pick the 20s, 30s, and 40s. You know how old Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were when they went to Israel, or when they went to Babylon? About 19. Do you know how old David was when he was crowned king? 17. Do you know how young Mary was when she gave birth? 15 or 16. Do you know how young John was when he followed Jesus? Maybe 13 or 14? That's why he gets to write the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. Guys living forever. All the other guys died, they were older. There is, there is sense to 20s, 30s and 40s being impacted because they run for a long time. And there are more 20s, 30s and 40s now on earth than there are 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s in any country except Prince George. Any questions? About Prince George? I won't be able to answer. Okay. Okay. 
No, no, no. Receive it. If you can't, wrestle with it. Yeah, and, but, and then if you still can't, then... Then... then, then but, but, but Are you able to believe it? To receive it is to believe something. You cannot receive something without believing it. But one should not believe anything anybody says, including me. One should not believe it. Look at what we are saying. We are saying that, not we. Look at what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is saying this. That's a big thing to say, man. Either it's true or it's false. And if it's false, for the last eight weeks, you've been listening to a whole lot of falsehood. No, the scriptures were right, but the principle would be false. That should be good enough reason to say, this ain't the right place. No, I'm saying... This is what God wants to do with us. We're concluding this, and we're in a very disorganized space today, so I'm okay going down this route. Guys, one of the things I really want to do is we must not escape these things. Either they must be God, and they must pin us down, because he jockeys for position, and now he has you on the mat, and you're crying uncle and saying, okay, I agree. Or we must rise up and say, this is not. And if it is not, then you have a reason to say, no, I don't want to sit under this. But you can't have both. It's not right because you slow down everybody. Any questions? Because let's for a second assume that I'm right. Then what? then at some point we will be responsible for uh, igniting something across the earth. When history books are written, everything seems to happen in two years. The truth is, it takes 10, 15 years for something to happen. Any questions? Any comments? Marcus, any questions? Me? Yeah. Okay. Evan, any questions? Go ahead. Sorry? It is, but we, st- we can't force mass belief. So each individual has to decide where one is at. We can't force the church to believe something together. But the, I must force the church to face up to something or challenge something or wrestle with something. That is one thing Paul would continuously do in his letters. Okay. Because we are concluding this, so if you have any questions, now is the time to ask. So the emphasis is on this on the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, and one of the things that will happen if you begin to focus on this is that you will be... What's Psalm 103? Um, um, he rescues my soul from hell. He surrounds me with loving kindness. He fills my ears with good days so that my youth is renewed like 
the eagle. This is something that happens. Eh? Every time you partake in something that God is doing, either in a church or on earth or in a small community or with those that are in your church, every time you do that, your life will be renewed. Always. Why? Because he needs you and you are obedient to him. And he says, okay, here's a willing candidate. Let me just pour into him. It doesn't have to be this. It can be anything you're doing in a house church or a hub. Or forget whole house church or hub that you're doing yourself because God has asked you to do it. But the reason God is asking us to do this is because he finds his body faithful and able and willing. He wouldn't give it to us if he didn't think we were able. And he's definitely not giving it to any one person. He's giving it to an entire group of people saying, but you're able. This is why I'm giving it to you. And then will I step up? Will you step up? Today we're talking about blazing torches based on that scripture behind. And so one of the things, I was wondering how to go about it, and I felt the Lord saying, why don't you go look at blazing torches in the scriptures and build on that? So that's what I'm, I've done, and that's how I'll be teaching this. Um, and till we mold ourselves to become, we can't mold others. That's basically been the crux of what we've been doing over the eight we- last eight weeks. These things, these things, unless we become it, unless we understand a purifying fire from heaven, unless we burn up religious and historical junk in our lives, unless we follow the divine warrior, unless we deliver young men and women into the kingdom, unless we behave like sons and daughters, unless we enter the circle of dancing and abundance and joy, unless we understand how to walk before the lion and the lamb, unless we become torch-bearing, how do we mold it for others? It's not possible. And that's what these last eight weeks have been about. Can you become this so that you can mold it, mold others? So let's start with the first blazing torch. It was in Genesis 15, verses 5 to 7. It says that Abraham, uh, 5 to 17, Genesis 15, 5 to 17, it says Abraham took um, a sacrifice, he cut it in two, and he left it there. And when he left it there, there was a torch that began to pass right through the center of it, and it consumed the sacrifice eventually. And so one of the things we need to become if we want to be if you, want, if you want to show the generation that is coming up what it is to be torch-bearing, one of the first things is separation in terms of purity, because that always results in the Bible in multiplication. Every time God separates something unto himself, it multiplies. Every time you separate your child to God and dedicate the child, the child begins to exponentially increase. Every time a church separates itself to a cause. Here's the other thing, guys. Just, in, just think for an instance that we separate ourselves to this. Part of the reason we said God will add is because we have been faithful to his call. We've been faithful to what he's called us to. Every time 
you separate yourself to anything that God demands of you, there is an increase. And every time you don't, you'll find that it doesn't matter how hard you try, you're being scooped out from inside. And it's not God who does the scooping. There's an active enemy. The sad thing is people believe, people think that if they don't believe in Satan that he disappears. That's such a cool deception that the enemy has. So every time I believe in God and I separate myself unto him, I'll always increase or multiply. The book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, is full of separation and multiplication. Separation and multiplication. Anything he separates, multiplies. Abraham separates these two pieces and he leaves them there. And he leaves them there. And you know what it is in response to? God says, listen, I want to make a covenant with you. He separates the pieces and leaves them there. A blazing torch comes, goes right between it. And then God says to Abraham, listen, from this day on, I'll multiply your descendants as I multiply the sands on a seashore, all the stars in the sky, so will your descendants be. Doesn't matter whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's your money, whether it's your life, whether it's your spirituality starting Monday, whether it's dawn deciding on July 31st that I will walk with my shoulders back starting tomorrow, whatever you separate and dedicate to God will always multiply. Amen. This is the whole principle of dedication, eh? Dedication is a separation unto God for multiplication. Yeah, sit right down. Any questions on that one? And this multiplication thing is real. I want to call Jane up. She, God showed us something that I want her to share. Hey, can you turn that mic on? Hello? Good. Um, so... It actually started yesterday morning, um, and the song, The Blessing, and there were two songs that just kept like buzzing in my ear. It was The Blessing, um, and then, and that's the one where it talks about like, may your children, and your children, and their children, that song. And then the second one was God With Us, and I was just asking God, like, why, why are you putting these in my ear? And this morning again, I woke up with it, and then I just sat and just listened to this song, The Blessing. And um, and it was like 2.30 this afternoon, 2 p.m. And I was just sitting with Phoebe and Sheldon. We just had lunch. Like, we were just sitting around the table. Um, and we were listening to this song. And this is the words I hear. The Lord bless you and keep you. Turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May his favor be upon you for a thousand generations and your children and their children and their children he is for you. He is with you. And, and they repeat that like crazy. He is for you. He is for you. And sometimes that gets annoying. But this time, it was like God was like hammering that in. It's like, can you really get it? He is for you. He is with you. And as I was listening to the song, I had a vision. And the vision was Acts 29. It's not just, it wasn't just a few individuals. Like, I'm confident it was all of us. It wasn't for a few 
opening big doors. And today, as in this very day, we are opening as a church big doors and a multitude of people, a multitude of people are waiting to enter. Hundreds, maybe even thousands. And you know, their faces are turned toward us. They're waiting. And the thing that got me the most is that it was not about, hey, look to Jesus. They saw our faces. And they saw Jesus. None of us were excluded. They saw our faces. And they saw Jesus. And their lives were forever changed. And it'll, it'll go on generation after generation after generation. This thing is unstoppable. You need, a, you need to see with me the doors opening and the multitude of people. It was bursting at the seams. It was bursting at the seams. Can you see it with me, church? There's people after people after people waiting to see, Je to see Jesus in your face his favor on you, and you'll shine that favor on them. These people are waiting. They're ready, and they're coming. It's, it's ready, it's today. And as we march into this new territory for us, he wants our cry to be, God with us, God for us, nothing can come against. No one can stand between us. Where there is, where there is death, he brings life. Where there is fear, he brings courage. And when we're afraid, he will be with us. And he will lift us up. He'll lift us up. Father, we just say amen. Amen. We hear your words and we say amen. We, um, we are stepping forward uh, not knowing where we're going, but it is, it is a step of obedience. And we say to you, we will continue to take it step by step as you lead. We follow. We want your will to be done in this on this earth and we want to be there in the middle of it we don't want to miss anything thank you father thank you thank you that you are calling us and we say yes we say yes father amen father we just thank you for your word and we say yes, as Karen said, yes. We long, Father, to see those come into the kingdom so that the next generation is not lost. Father, um, this is your desire, so we know that you will bring it to pass. And we know that um, we can do nothing without you. So we just thank you that it is all you.
and we just say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just read it again. I had a vision of Acts 29 opening big doors today to a multitude of people waiting to enter. Hundreds, maybe even thousands. Their faces turned towards us. They will see us and see Jesus. Their lives and the lives of generations will be forever changed. And then um, Jane writes, I wept and wept. How can it be, Father? It's too amazing. I can't take it in. I'm just so not interested in numbers, guys. But the time has come for this to happen, eh? Where we read a, reach a, we've reached a critical mass and now it'll burst forth. And thank you for sticking around. Thank you for sticking around. You must see the, uh, f- you must see the fruit of your labor. You must see the fruit of your labor. Doesn't matter whether you came yesterday or 17 years ago. Thank you for sticking around. Set yourselves apart, eh? even if it's a two month uh, in Burnaby and then don't know where we'll be going next. Set ourselves apart. Because every time we set ourselves apart and dedicate ourselves to something God wants to do, there's always increase in multiplication in your own lives and in the lives of others. When you get a chance this week, talk to the Lord about it, saying, Father, ready? The second mention of blazing torches is in Judges 7.20 and it's the story of Gideon who has blazing torches hidden in jars of clay. (coughs) These are things we first need to become so that we can teach it to the generation that is coming. One of the things God really wants us to do is, hey, can I make you a company of battle-ready people? Make you a company of battle-ready people. Battle-ready people. With trumpets, pitchers, and torches, like in the story of Gideon. It's odd eh, how the story works out. Gideon says, listen, take this blazing torch, put it in the pitcher, but keep your eyes on me. I'll tell you when to break the pitcher. And in the middle of the battle, don't look anywhere else. Don't react to the enemy. Don't be gung-ho and take a step before I tell you. Keep your eyes on me. And as you keep your eyes on me, I'll tell you when to break the pitcher. And you will see these blazing torches. The enemy will see these blazing torches. And when they see it, they'll panic. But keep your eyes on me, I'll tell you when. And then when they do that, there's this huge shout from 300 men divided into three companies overlooking the enemy camp. And they all shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And the entire Amalekite, or I think it's the Amalekite army, is just panics. Can you be raised into a company 
of battle-ready people. In Judges chapter 3, it actually says, God left enemy nations in the land so that Israel would learn how to fight. That he actually left opposition in the land so that Israel would learn how to fight. Because when he looked at the people of Israel, the older generation that had fought had passed away and who remained were ones that had never fought a battle. And so he, he didn't want a people to be wimpy sissy. He wanted them to be strong. And so he says, I'll leave opposition so that you can muscle up. And that's what he's looking for now. Can you be battle ready? To be battle ready, the only real thing it takes is can you work with what you have been given? Be it a trumpet, a pitcher, a torch, be it a jar of oil, five stones, or a sling. Whatever is given, whatever you have in your hand, instead of looking for the next big thing, can you take what you presently have? Can you, Moses, work with a staff? Can you, Samson, work with the jawbone of an ass? Begin with whatever you have in your hand. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, can you follow orders? Two simple things to be battle ready. That's it. Nothing else. We do this at work. We do this everywhere. Why not do it here too? By here, I don't mean church. I mean when you're sent out, when you're deployed, when you're dispatched to do something. These are the only two things required. Everything else is a matter of getting more skillful at it. And the one who makes you more skillful is the Holy Spirit and equipers who the Holy Spirit sends your way. That's how we learned. Everybody here who has any skill at anything learned it, not because they were born with it, but because God sent the right people into your lives at the right time to teach you that skill. It's the only two requirements, but it's the hardest requirements. Why? Because what is, this what is this replaced by? This is replaced by, give me a position, give me a role, give me something to do. That's not how this works. It doesn't matter what's given in your hand. And the second one is, can you follow orders? It's the only thing required for battle readiness, nothing else. It's the guys who know how to do this. When they are told to drink water from a lake, they're the ones who will go and lap up the water like a dog. Like Gideon's 300. The movie 300 is different, eh? One of the things God loves doing is training us for war. Like I've said before, if there is kingdom, and there is, then there is war. They are, they are so together that you cannot have one without the other. 
If there is kingdom, there is war. The moment God said, I am establishing a kingdom, the very moment God said, know that there will be conflict. And be the plagues in Egypt, which was basically a conflict between Yahweh and the different gods that were being defeated in every plague. Or whether it be Paul in Ephesus. Whenever there is kingdom, there is war. And there is a kingdom, therefore there is war. And one of the things God wants to desperately do is, hey, can I train some of you to be like me? But training for a war requires these two things. And this is where he runs into trouble. Any questions? Yeah, because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So the moment we say train for war, and uh, uh, David says in the Psalms, train my fingers for battle, train my hands for war and my fingers for battle, what he basically means is that, listen, uh, the only thing you have that is offensive in your armory is the Word of God. But it is not the knowledge of the Word of God. It is the wielding of the Word of God. People can be highly skilled with tons of knowledge in Hebrew and Greek about the Word, but if you don't know how to wield it, I mean, give me a tennis racket and a ball and see what happens. You'll have your head knocked off by the, ba- by the racket, not the ball. Yeah. So just because you have something in your hand does not mean that you know how to use it. The wielding of it is the effective part of it. Hamari was so impressed with the answer, she got up and left. <laughs> the next one, ne- the next torch we see is uh, in... Uh, Judges 15.4, where Samson catches the foxes that spoil the wine, that spoil, that are spoiling the wine, and he ties their tails together. Can you imagine him doing it now? The environmentalists would be so upset. He ties their tails together uh, and puts a torch, ties a torch to their tail, a blazing torch to their tail, and sends the foxes back into the enemy's, back into the enemy's fields. What is the point? That, hey, if you come and spoil my vineyard, I'm going to catch you, I'm going to tie your tails together, set your tails on fire, and send you back right into the enemy's standing grain so that the enemy suffers defeat and you, and you are spared. And so one of the things God wants to do with us so that we can teach the younger generation, man, when we went to Prince George and we saw the young people there raring to go, hey, they don't know what to do. This is the pastor telling us, Jacob, I don't know what to do next. Sometimes they're there and some of them are leading worship, some of them have their hands raised and then they don't know what to do next. After three songs are over, they don't know what to do, but they know there's something more. Guys, you heard what she saw. They didn't look at Jesus, they looked at you.
We must learn how to plunder Satan. Where's that from? Matthew 12, 28, 29. What does it say? Hey, if you want to go rescue people, and uh, let's say I want to rescue, um, I want to rescue Dilna, but Sheldon, Superman Sheldon is outside Dilna's house, and it's impossible to get to Dilna to rescue. So what I have to do is, I have to tie him up first. I have to tie him up first, so that now that he's tied up, I can go and plunder the house in which he's captive and get him out. Matthew 12, 28 and 29 actually talks about this. That Satan actually takes people captive. Will you go and bind up the strong man so that after you have bound him up, you can enter his house and plunder his goods and rescue people? The point being, if this church cannot rescue others, a whole generation continues in captivity and the generation after them. So will God allow this to happen? No, he won't, but he'll move on to someone else who's ready to learn. And I don't want that. Hey, when God decides something, he'll get his way. Eh? He'll get it through either 100 people or he'll get it through one person. But the 100 people he wanted to start with will miss out. Don't want that to happen. One of the things he wants to do is, hey, Jill, hey, Don, hey, Jagan, can I teach you how to plunder the devil, plunder him? He has robbed, he has taken away lives, he has put them away in his shelf as his trophies, his captives. Can I use you? Can I teach you? Can I train you to go and bind up the strong men, go into houses that are impossible to go to and rescue people, not out of false religion alone, rescue people out of captivity? Take them out from the mindsets, the stubbornness, the pride, the lust, the sickness, the depravity that people are caught up in. Can I help you? Can I ask you to rescue? And can you do it like my son Jesus did it? That's what he's asking. All this goes back to the first one, eh? Can you separate yourself for this? One of the greatest ways to increase in authority is purity. Amen. There is no shortcut to authority except purity. Why? Because purity allows you to be next to the one who is absolutely pure. Authority is simply you being close to the one who has all authority. And that can only come to, through purity. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how learned you are, there is no way you'll have authority unless there is purity. Our lifelong quest then is increase in purity, not for your own sake, not even to be a pure Christian, but so that you can set others free, man. Purity is proof of your intimacy with God and your intimacy with God intimidates the enemy. Purity is proof of your intimacy with God and your intimacy with God intimidates the enemy. Purity is proof of your intimacy with God 
and your intimacy with God intimidates the enemy. Nothing else intimidates him. Nothing else intimidates him. You think the name of Jesus works without intimacy? Absolutely not. You saw what happened to the seven sons of Sceva. Oh my God, isn't there enough room for all of us to increase in purity? Definitely in my life. Blazing torches, blazing purity. So one of the things he wants to do is, hey, can I have you plunder Satan so that um, you can visit judgment upon the enemy? Visit judgment. Visit judgment. Is it a New Testament thing? Want to see visiting judgment in the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira. Thank God it doesn't happen, eh? Half the church, including the pastor, would be dead by now. Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Herod. At least that's in... Uh, I mean, they were lying against the Holy Spirit, conspiring against him, trying to destroy the fledgling church. But now let's go to Herod. He's standing there, he's sitting there on his throne, beginning to talk great about himself and compare himself with God. It says maggots ate up his inside and he died on the spot. We want a good God who is so loving that everything is, come, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Occasionally, this God, and we talked about it last week, we said the Holy Spirit can be a spirit of wrath. Don't talk about this, it's not right. We want a loving God. Well, too bad. He said this about himself. He's super loving, man. That's the first thing he is. But he also puts in this line in Galatians 6 which says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Visit judgment on the enemy. We don't know how to do this as a church. Some of us may know how to do it. We don't know how to do this as a church. Do you remember the times when he had 50 days of prayer? The reason we stopped at day 27 is because I realized that if we go further, we don't know how to do this. We had 50 days of prayer. We got to day 27 and then we shut down. Because everything else after that that had to be done would require this, and you can't fake it. You want to see visit judgment in the Old Testament? They bring in the Ark of Covenant into the temple of Dagon in 1 Samuel 5. They put the ark in the temple, and guess what happens? Dagon, this fish god, falls flat on his face. So what do they do? They uh, put super glue and put him up again. And they try that, and he falls again. Then they put gorilla glue, and they put him up again. And he falls again, and he falls, and he's broken into so many pieces that they can't put Humpty Dumpty together again. Where does this come from? The purer I walk, the greater the authority and the glory of God that is upon me. And if you don't see it, there's two reasons you don't see it. One, I don't have it. Two, we can be blind. So let's go with one, I don't have it for now. But tomorrow, we can increase in it. I must see the same thing in you. Either you don't have it or my eyes are blind. There's so much room for us, guys. Be encouraged by this. This is not a dissing down. This is, my God, there's so much room for us to grow. So much room. 
We can all increase in this. Can you imagine you walking into this church and people highly aware of the presence of God on you, man? Even though we are familiar with each other. Did you notice while Dilna was singing how different he was from the Dilna we know? What happens to a man suddenly? There are these moments which he glimpses it. We see it on everybody. I, I've seen it sometimes when Mike is playing his sax, when Joan or Sue start praying, when Dilna came up here. You see it on people. You see suddenly that God is upon them. Even though we are familiar with all of them and we know them like the back of our hand, yet we see it on them. What if all of us began to increase in this and God will do it if our people are faithful because we have been faithful, guys. Count yourself as one of the faithful in this church if you're sitting here right now. Really. God will do this. But as you walk in, now it'll become commonplace to look at Evan, to look at Don, to look at Sophia and say, ah, shucks, man. These guys walk in and you know they carry him. It's so possible, guys. Going into this, it'll be fun. Yep. Yeah, what is purity? Purity is not perfection. Purity is the, the relentless pursuit of God with an increasing appetite for holiness that, is, that becomes natural. A relentless pursuit of God with an increasing appetite for holiness that becomes natural. It isn't because you're a Christian. It isn't because you want to go to heaven or you want more authority. It is the same thing that happens when you're so deeply in love with someone that you relentlessly pursue that person with an appetite for everything they are. And it becomes natural till you become like them. And it is your desire. It's not even something you have to force yourself to. It is just so natural for you. Yeah, a childlikeness in your pursuit. I want to be like my dad. That's how this happens. And then you don't even care about perfection. You don't even care about falling, in, falling down. You just get up. That's what this looks like. And it's natural. It's not, it's not Christian. Let's do one more and stop. In Isaiah 62, verse 1, talks about the blazing torch of salvation. The blazing torch of salvation. 
strangely enough, when you actually read the verse, it's not saying, oh, I want you to carry a blazing torch and go evangelize. It says, hey, if you're saved, can I let my justice and righteousness reside upon you and be seen through you? It's exactly what, uh, what's her name was talking about. Can I let people see that you are rescued, that you are forgiven, that you are special, that you're different? Can, I, can you show it to them to a point where they desire it? Where they desire it? And use words too. Uh, we were flying back from uh, Prince George and Derek and I had seats together and then they gave Derek 19C, which was right in the back. I was grateful because I thought at least now I don't have to talk to him and I can prepare my notes. And uh, um, so he's now sitting in 19C. And before he left here, the Lord had told him to take a pen with him. And so he takes a pen, and there's this girl from L.A. who comes and sits next to him. And he takes this pen, and he starts writing a letter to him, to her. Finishes the letter, and at the end of the flight, he takes the letter and gives it to her, saying, I just wanted to give you this letter. There's something uh, I'm writing to you. And he's written about her life, how difficult it is, the things that have happened, what God wants to do for her. And so at times we use words. But in Isaiah 62.1, God is saying, can I use the blazing torch of salvation to shine through your life? And then use words too. Let's just stop there. If I'm able to do this, if you're able to do this for three young men or three young women. That's all we do. What if one of those young men becomes someone who has tremendous influence in some part of the world someday? What if one of those young men turns out to be someone like you or someone like me that has lesser influence but still has influence? Anyone who thinks they are not able of doing this should perish that thought today. One of the things God said to this church in 2005, before this church was registered, this church was registered Feb 2006. In Feb 2005, um, there's a man called Wyn Goss, W-Y-N-N-G-O-S-S. He was Scottish. Uh, I'm in the city in the UK, and this guy comes up. He died some years ago. He comes up, and he doesn't even know that, um, uh, that a church was going to be formed. But this is what he said. I want you to be reminded of it at this stage as we go forward. He said, Here are his words. Um, that uh, this church that will be formed, out of this church will go gifts, ministries, and anointings. Out of this church that didn't exist will spring forth people, young men, young women, bishops, strong apostolic ministries, strong teachers, who will go out from your company 
and they will reproduce this anointing across the earth. This was before the church was formed. I'll read it just one more time. Gifts, ministries, anointings are about to spring forth in this church and in these people. Young men, young women, bishops, strong apostolic ministries, strong teachers will be going out from your company and they will reproduce this anointing. This is the first of many that will come out of Acts 29. This is what was said. This was 18 years ago before the church was formed. And God will be faithful, man. It's already happened multiple times and it'll keep happening. So as we step, as we leave this place and step into the next place, just remember that, eh? Just remember that. Be part of it. One of the things that um, Derek and Iris um, shaping and forming is this um, ministry called Square One. And um, Square One is um, the vision that God gave them was, okay, can we do this? Can we go to different cities in Canada to begin with and begin to affect young people? Begin to affect young people. Prince George was one of the areas he wanted to explore, other cities too. And so what if you came up with something like this? What if you desired a ministry that is not something that will um, operate as a maverick, operate as something on its own, but what if it ties in with everything that God wants to do? What if it ties in with everything that God wants to do? Is it that you want to train people to march as divine warriors? Is it that you want to help people become sons and daughters? Is it that you want to teach them how to enter the circle of dancing joy and abundance? What do you want to, what do, you want to do in this line of work? And once you begin to come up with it, then isn't it incumbent upon this church to begin to help you fulfill this word that out of this church will go ministries, will go apostolic callings, will go bishops, will go strong teaching ministries across the earth. The time has come. It doesn't mean you turn up and say, all right, this is what I've decided to do. No, the moment you say that, then begins the whole process of how do you do it and how do you train to be effective. But it's worth giving it a shot. And when Derek and Iris approached me, their thing was, hey, Jacob, can you help us? Can you send us? Can you train us? And can you help make this a reality? What about you? And what do you want to do? But it's no longer the church that does it. It's individuals that begin to now express what God has put in their womb for years. But the time has come. Think about it. And hold me not to my word, but hold me to the word that God spoke about this church in 2005 before the church was formed. Don't get put off if I say, great, so let's start training and can you do this, this, and this. No, 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 I just want to go straight into music. It won't happen. I told my dad I wanted to drive at six. He said, no. Needs a little bit of training, son. Your foot has to reach a break because at some point you have to break. 